What is up, mere mortals? My name is John Solo, and in this remastered episode of the Messed Up Origins podcast, we're covering the real mythology of Midgard's savior, Thor Odinson, and we're making as many connections as we can to his modern reimaginings in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the God of War Universe. Longtime fans of my YouTube series will recognize the audio from the original episode, but the track has been remastered, sound effects have been added, and visual elements of the presentation have been adjusted for a seamless listening experience. Thank you all for tuning in to John Solo's Messed Up Origins podcast, where we're posting remastered episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Don't forget to rate the show five stars if you enjoy it, and brace yourself for the messed up origins of Thor, God of Thunder, and Guardian of Midgard. Part 1. The God of Thunder Before we jump into the myths about Thor, allow me to formally introduce the man, because the folks at Marvel changed quite a bit about his backstory. For example, instead of being the son of Odin, the king of Asgard, and the wise Frigga, he's the son of Odin, king of the Aesir, and Jorth, a feminine personification of the Earth. See, in the movies, Thor, Loki, Odin, they aren't actually gods. They're an alien species from the pocket realm of Asgard. The Norse people just gave them titles like God of Thunder and God of Mischief when they visited Earth during their youth and blew the Norse people's minds with their powers, causing them to think they're deities. In real Norse mythology, Thor is actually a god, specifically an Aesir god, who is believed to rule over the sky. He controlled lightning, winds and storms, fine weather, and even fertility. Are you Thor, the god of hammers? Hmm? I can take this one actually, he was not the god of hammers, but he was considered to be the protector of mankind and our realm, Midgard, and his favorite weapon to protect us with was his infamous hammer, Mjolnir. To thank him for protecting us from the murderous Jotuns, giants over in Jotunheim, Norse people would sacrifice animals like goats as a thank you on the same day every week, presumably on Thor's day, or as we know it, Thursday. Anywho, he was given Mjolnir, whose name might mean lightning maker, by the dwarf craftsmen Brock and Sindri, who are also the ones responsible for making it in God of War. In both cases, the hammer goes on to be feared among the giants, whose numbers dwindle by the dozens every time it enters their territory. As sad as that may be, the context for the gift is pretty hilarious. In the myth, Loki impulsively chose to shave the head of Sif, Thor's wife, while she was sleeping, and Thor told Loki to find new hair to replace hers or he'd break every bone in his body. Wanting to avoid that, Loki set up a contest between Brock and Sindri and the sons of Ivaldi to see who could make the most impressive gifts for the Aesir. Ivaldi's sons replaced Sif's hair with gold, but Mjolnir secured Brock and Sindri the victory, despite them making the handle a little too short as a result of Loki turning himself into a fly and distracting them during the creation process. In terms of functionality, the way Thor uses Mjolnir in the movies is identical to the myths. It's a conduit for his lightning abilities, it always returns to him, and he can even use it to fly. He also sports iron gloves called Yarn Griper, which he wears for his own protection when wielding Mjolnir, and then there's his belt, Mayingjorth, which doubles his strength. When traveling from realm to realm, Thor prefers to ride in his chariot pulled by the goats Tangen Grisner and Tangen Joster, which mean teeth bearer and teeth grinder. 
During his travels, he's able to kill and eat these goats for sustenance, which sounds horrible at first, but he can easily resurrect them as long as he has all of their bones. Also in his entourage are his two servants, youths named Thialfi and Roskva, who actually joined his crew as repayment after Loki tricked Thialfi into breaking one of the goat's legs and drinking the marrow when they had it for dinner one night. Last but not least, I want to mention Thor's sons, Magni and Modi, who also make an appearance in God of War. We don't know who Modi's mother is in the mythology, but Magni's is Thor's giantess lover, Yarn Saxa, hence him being the much bigger of the brothers in the game. You can see where they get their good looks from though, can't ya? Actually speaking of, when it comes to Thor's physical appearance, I'm sorry to say that we have almost no information. It's mentioned one or two times that he has fierce eyes and a fiery red beard, but his overall size and physique has just been inferred from what we know about his habits. We know he's incredibly strong and his three favorite things to do are eat, drink, and fight. So it's safe to assume that he was a burly guy. He may not have had a planet-sized gut, but he was also nowhere near as shredded as Hemsworth is. I don't want to body shame the son of Odin though. Whether he's fat or skinny, tall, or a short king, it doesn't make his adventures or accomplishments any less impressive or entertaining. Part 2. Thor's First Duel so everything you just learned about Thor and all the stories we're about to go through could be found in the same two resources where we get all of our knowledge about Norse mythology. I'm of course talking about the Prose Edda, written by Icelandic poet Snorri Sturluson around 1200 AD, and the Poetic Edda, a collection of anonymously composed Old Norse poems that were passed on orally for centuries before eventually being collected. The myth that we're going to start with comes from the Skaldska Parmal, a section of the Prose Edda that contains a frame story where Aegir, the personification of the sea and Bragi, the god of poetry, discuss the nature of poetry and the deeds of the Aesir. One such deed is the first duel that Thor was ever challenged to by a Jotun, a story that we've never talked about on this channel before. Essentially what happens is that Odin talks shit to a Jotun named Hrunnir by saying his horse Sleipnir is faster than any horse in Jotunheim. Then when Hrunnir gets pissed and tries to fight Odin, the Allfather avoids his wrath by inviting him to dine in Asgard. Prunir accepts the invitation, but he's a terrible guest and takes advantage of the Aesir's hospitality, getting sloppy drunk and threatening to kill everyone in sight. Eventually, Thor enters the scene and threatens Hrunnir right back, but the giant declares that Thor would be a coward to kill him because he doesn't have any weapons. However, he would gladly challenge the God of Thunder to a duel, and Thor, who had never been challenged to one-on-one -on -one combat before, barely waited for him to finish his sentence before he agreed. A few hours later, the scene is set on Jotunheim. The giants are all crowded around Hrunir, who's rocking his iconic stone shield and a flintstone, which he plans to throw at Thor. As storm clouds brood and lightning filled the sky, the Jotuns knew the mighty Thor was approaching, but off in the distance, they saw his servant, Thialfi, running toward them. Thialfi cried out that Hrunir was a fool. Thor knew all about his sturdy stone shield and was tunneling through the ground to attack him from below. After hearing this, Hrunir stood on top of his stone shield to protect himself. But when he looked up, he saw Thor flying toward him with his hammer leading the way. At that moment, both Hrunir and Thor threw their weapons at each other, causing them to collide in midair. As you'd expect, Mjolnir tore through the stone like nothing, but that wasn't necessarily a good thing. Upon impact, the stone exploded into a hundred different pieces, and one of them embedded itself into Thor's skull, causing him to plummet to the ground unconscious. Meanwhile, Hrunnir's head got the same treatment as the flint stone and exploded into a red mist, and when the giant fell, his foot landed on Thor, pinning him to the ground. All the Aesir tried to move the foot, but no one there was strong enough. So they brought in Thor's son Magni, who was just three days old at this point and known for inheriting his father's might, and he easily tossed the foot off. After being rescued, Thor thanked his son for his help, 
then gave him Hunyr's wicked fast horse Goldfax as a token of appreciation. And for those wondering, that rock that embedded itself into Thor's skull never came out, even with the help of magic. So I guess you could say that's a detail that Marvel is missing. If they really stuck to the mythology, Chris Hemsworth would have a big ass rock sticking out of his forehead at all times. It is worth noting though, that Thor does appear to have scars on his face in the promo art for God of War Ragnarok, and we hear a variation of this myth in God of War 4 that similarly ends with Thor getting a face full of stone. Thor takes one look at the drunken stone buffoon and brings down Mjolnir on his head so hard that he's got chunks of Hrunir in his own skull to this day. Part 3. Jormungandr There is no denying that Thor is a mighty warrior, and every warrior needs a rival, someone who pushes him to his limits and forces him to improve if he wants to survive. For Thor, a serpent named Jormungandr filled that role, but this was not your typical serpent. Jormungandr was the middle child of Loki and the giantess Angerbotha, and was so huge that he could encircle the entire earth and bite the end of his own tail, which is where he gets the terrifying epithet Mithgard Sormer, which roughly translates to Midgard Serpent. Their rivalry is explained across two myths, both of which I'm gonna summarize for you in this section. The first myth details how they met, and while I really would love to give you the full version, it's just way too long, so I decided that I'm just gonna do a whole episode on it in the future. So basically what goes down is, Loki, Thor, and Thor's two servants, the Alfie and Roskva, travel east into Jotunheim until they arrive at the hall of a giant called Utgarthur Loki, and he tells them they'll have to prove their talents if they want hospitality. The Alfie loses the foot race he's challenged to, and Loki is annihilated in his eating contest, so it all falls on Thor to pick up their slack only that ends up being a lot more difficult than he expected. During the chugging contest, it seemed like he could barely make a dent in his beer no matter how much he drank, and he lost a wrestling match to an old woman, Utgarthur Loki's foster mother. There was one other challenge though, one of strength. Thor was told to lift Utgarthur Loki's house cat off the ground, something that we're told that all giants can do with ease. Thor manages to get the cat on his shoulders and even lifts it into the air, but no matter how high he reaches, the cat is able to arch its back in the same direction so he can barely get its paw off the ground. Sadly, this means he lost the contest, but at the end of the story, we find out it was all rigged. That horn that Thor drank out of was connected to the ocean, the old woman he wrestled was the personification of time itself, and that cat wasn't the cat at all, but Mithgarth Sormer, the Midgard Serpent. As you might expect, Thor didn't have a sense of humor about being made to look a fool, so when Utgarthur Loki revealed the truth, he tried to shatter the giant's skull with his hammer. Much to his disappointment, the giant vanished into thin air before he could make contact, and this interaction would stick in Thor's mind even deeper than the Flintstone did. So much so that he sought out his next adventure immediately. Having been bested by Jormungandr in the test of strength, he wanted to even the scoreboard and show the serpent that he was not one to be messed with. Now Thor and his hammer were infamous across the realms for how many giants they had slayed together, so when traveling back into Jotun territory, he had to disguise himself as a young man. He took shelter with a giant named Hymir and asked if he could join him on a fishing trip the next morning, which Hymir reluctantly agreed to. The giant thought that his visitor was too small to handle the freezing temperatures, but he didn't know that his visitor was Thor. While out on the water, Thor rows them right into Jormungandr's territory and whips out his bait, the decapitated head of Hymir's favorite ox. Then he casts it into the water and only a few moments pass before Jormungandr takes a hold of it. Thor almost goes flying out of the boat from the immense amount of force on the line, but he's able to catch himself and in a rage, he stomps so hard that he breaks through the bottom of the boat and is standing on the floor of the sea. After securing his footing, Thor yanks the serpent right up to the front edge of the boat, 
raises his hammer, and locks eyes with his rival, who proceeds to vomit acid directly into his face. At this, Thor raises his hammer even higher and prepares to bring it down with all the power and lightning he can muster. But out of nowhere, Hymir reaches out with his knife and cuts the line, setting the monster free. Not one to give up easily, Thor throws Mjolnir into the water, and some say that it did indeed blast Jormungandr in the face, but we'll never know for sure. What we do know is that Thor was furious at Hymir for intervening, so he blasted the giant in the face and sent him tumbling backward into the water while he waded to shore. I wouldn't say that's very fair to Hymir, considering that he was just trying to save himself from being collateral damage, but the well-being of giants was never a concern of Thor's. There is actually another version of that story found in the Poetic Edda that has a very different ending, one that doesn't make you feel quite so bad for Hymir. If you want to hear it in full, check out my episode on Jormungandr. Personally, I cannot wait to see how this rivalry unfolds in the next God of War. They set up the two's hatred for each other really well in the first game, but we only get to see it from Jormungandr's perspective, and I can't help but think that Thor's take on the whole thing is going to be hilarious. Doesn't that hurt? Well, he and Thor have a bit of an unpleasant history between them. Or they will, anyway. I guess waking up to see it was worse than the thought of lumps of solid stone passing through his gullet. Part 4. Thor's Wedding it's pretty obvious at this point that Thor and his hammer have a bond that's beyond words. He uses it in just about every myth he's featured in, and I like how in Thor Ragnarok they try to put words to that relationship after the hammer is destroyed by Hela. Sounds like you had a pretty special and intimate relationship with this hammer and that losing it was almost comparable to losing a loved one. It's a nice way of putting it. Well, there also happens to be a myth where Thor loses his hammer. It's called Thrym's Kvitha, or Thrym's Poem, and can be found in the Poetic Edda. Now, to be clear, the hammer is not destroyed here, but rather stolen by the Jotun the poem is named after, Thrym. And Thrym tells Loki that he'll only give the hammer back if he can take the goddess Freya as his bride. Now, Thor had no problem making this exchange, but Freya was not a willing participant. So the Aesir got together to think of an alternate plan of attack, and Heimdall's suggestion was the most popular one. He said, let's dress Thor up as a bride. We'll give him Freya's necklace, a lovely dress, a pretty veil to cover his face. The giants won't suspect a thing. As you'd expect, Thor was heavily opposed to this idea and didn't want to look like a sissy. Those are his words. But Loki, who probably just wanted to humiliate him, said there wasn't time for debate and that he better get fitted for his gown. In order to accompany Thor at the ceremony, Loki took the form of a serving girl and together they <laughs> rode Thor's goat chariot to Jotunheim, where Thrym was eagerly awaiting for their arrival. After he shows them around his not-so-humble abode, his servants assemble the pre-wedding feast, where Thor almost blows his cover by eating how he normally would instead of the ladylike Freya. He devours an entire ox, ate salmon, all of the delicacies reserved for the women, and drank three whole kegs of mead. Naturally, Thrym was a little concerned about this, but Loki came up with a solid excuse, that she was so excited during the build-up to the wedding that she hadn't eaten in eight days. Then, when Thrym leans in to give his bride-to-be a kiss, He's taken aback by the wild look in her eyes, and Loki says, oh, that's because she hasn't slept in eight days either. After the feast is over and the table is cleared, Thrym's older sister enters the hall to request the golden rings and jewels that would customarily be given to her by the bride to win her affection. But at that same moment, Thrym also ordered for Mjolnir to be brought to the table so it can bless their marriage. And as soon as Mjolnir is placed on that table, 
That's a wrap, folks. Thor lets out a deep, bellowing laugh born from relief, excitement, and cruel intentions about to be carried out. Then he picks up the hammer and in one fell swoop, brings it down on Thrym's skull, crushing it to bits. Next, he swings at Thrym's sister and knocks her head clean off her shoulders. After taking a second to process how quickly the tables just turned, the rest of the giants in the hall stampeded toward the exit but only some were able to make it out. The rest were either killed or crippled by the almighty son of Odin who couldn't wait to get out of that dress. Part five, roast battle. So this next story doesn't have any connection to pop culture, nor is there any valuable lesson to be taken out of it. The only reason I wanna share it with you today is because it's goddamn hilarious and I know that you'll enjoy it. It could be found in the Poetic Edda and is officially called Harbarth's Liod or Greybeard Song but I like to call it the roast of Thor because that feels more accurate and it's easier for me to say. One day when Thor is walking his way to Asgard after presumably slaughtering a few dozen giants over in the east, he comes across an especially wide river and the ferryman who carries people across is on the other side. Thor calls out to him saying, ferryman, I have a fine breakfast here. Help me get across and I'll gladly share it with you. He didn't say it in that language or that accent, but that's what he said. And in my opinion, that was a pretty kind gesture, especially for Thor, but the ferryman just shoots him down, calling back that his mother is probably dead. No, I don't know where that came from either. My best guess is he just finished watching Thor Dark World. The ferryman then says that his name is Greybeard and that he was asked to run the ferry by a rich man named Hildolf, but was requested not to give rides to beggars and horse thieves, which is exactly what Thor looks like with his bare feet and ugly pants. He tells Thor to give him his name if he wants to cross, but when Thor introduces himself, the ferryman's insults just get more specific. You might be wondering why Thor doesn't just wade across the river himself at this point. After all, he is Thor and is said to cross four different rivers every day to take his seat at Yggdrasil, the world tree. But the truth is Thor just doesn't want to get his pants wet, even if they aren't that nice. So instead, he and the ferryman just start trading insults and bragging about their accomplishments. Greybeard claims to have been involved in a five-year war on the island called Algaron, raging war, killing warriors, and sampling the local ladies. Then Thor replies that if it weren't for him, all the humans in Midgard would have been murdered by giants. Now, I don't think you're ready for this next part. It's through Greybeard's brags that we figure out his true identity, Odin who apparently just wanted to fuck with Thor for a little bit. And to answer your question, yes, Thor does seem to realize it's Odin about halfway through the exchange, but for some reason, he never addresses the Allfather by name. It's not until the end of the argument that things start to get personal. Greybeard basically tells Thor that his wife Sif is currently cheating on him and that if he were to ferry him across, he would be able to catch her in the act and punish her lover. But he's not gonna ferry him across, so she'll get away with it once again and Thor will never know for sure what she was up to when he was gone. Yeah, if you wanna get under an insecure person's skin, that's a great way of doing it. But Thor chose not to believe him and straight up called Greybeard out for lying at random to get him upset. Then Thor says, look, all this bickering is pointless. Why don't you just come over here and we'll settle this face to face. But Greybeard says, nah, I don't think I will. Now get away from here. You don't get to ride the ferry. And Thor is stuck taking the long way to Asgard. Part six, Ragnarok. One of the most unique elements of Norse mythology is the idea of Ragnarok, roughly translated to the final destiny of the gods. To put it simply, it's the end of the world as we know it, and in true Norse fashion, it's welcomed in with an epic battle. The legend says that the fallen warriors from Valhalla will fight alongside Odin, Thor, Heimdall, Vithar, and the rest of the Aesir against Loki, Loki's children, the Jotuns, and the less honorable undead who were sent to hell instead of Valhalla. It's at this battle where the 
rivalry between Jormungandr and Thor is finally put to rest. Now at this point in the MCU, Jormungandr has still not made an appearance. In the Thor Ragnarok movie, it's Thor and Loki's half-sister Hela, Loki's daughter in the mythology, who's the ultimate antagonist. Another one of Loki's children, Fenrir, is portrayed as Hela's noble steed, but for some reason they left out the Midgard Serpent, which is a damn shame, considering the final battle literally took place over a sea of some kind, and he easily could have popped his big ol' head out. Then again, leaving him out entirely is better than the treatment he got in one of the Hulk comics. There's apparently a timeline where Hulk is the size of a skyscraper and uses Jormungandr as a whip to beat Fenrir to death, killing the serpent in the process. So disrespectful. There are other timelines where he and Thor actually have a rivalry like they do in the mythology though, so maybe they could be used to inspire future Thor movies? Who knows, I'm just worried that with Asgard being destroyed, the movies are gonna lose touch with the Norse elements that I love so much. In any case, when it comes to their clash at the real Ragnarok, their battle is one for the ages, and Thor uses all of his pent up rage from he and Jormungandr's previous two meetings as fuel. And while using his mighty hammer as a conduit, he smites the serpent with the biggest lightning blast in the history of lightning blasts, killing him dead and coming out the victor. Or so he thought, Thor would only take nine steps away from his fallen adversary when the serpent would vomit out all the remaining venom in his system, covering Thor and killing him in a most painful way. According to the Poetic Edda, when the protector of Midgard fell, so did all of mankind. Millions of voices cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Even still, the Battle of Ragnarok continued on, and while some of the Aesir did survive, like Thor's sons, Magni and Modi, who would be the new wielders of Mjolnir, Hod and Baldur, whose death is what triggered Ragnarok in the first place, and a few others, but the world would be forever changed. We'll talk more about that in my upcoming episode about Ragnarok that'll be in production as soon as I get my hands on the next God of War game, whenever that is, not soon enough, that's for sure. But with the death of Midgard's guardian, his story has concluded. We covered just about everything there is to know about him, and the few things I left out are all going to be touched on in future episodes. In the meantime, thanks for stopping by and listening to John Solo's Messed Up Origins podcast. I hope you found it entertaining, enlightening, and a little bit horrifying. Remember to make your sacrifice to the algorithm gods by rating our show five stars and let us know what you think by hitting us up directly on Instagram or Twitter where you can find us under the Messed Up Origins handle. And don't forget, if you're craving more Messed Up Origins, you can also check out my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom custom-made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first.